Tracy Fenton is the founder and CEO of World Blue, which has a wonderful vision of seeing a billion people working in freedom-centered organizations worldwide. The, the organization was founded in 1997. It's the largest global network of companies committed to freedom and democracy, clients in over 80 countries, representing about $30 billion in annual revenue. And you'll recognize some of these clients because it includes companies like Zappos, and on this program, Menlo, Menlo Innovations, which is Episode 7, Nearsoft, which is Episode 5. You're listening to the Insight to Action podcast, and my name is Donna Jones. I'm your host. We're here to poke the envelope and push companies and thinking and mindsets forward into a time when we can be more people-centric and more connected to all of the things that sustain life in a beautiful way on this planet. And with respect to workplaces, it's about turning humanity loose. So, Tracy, welcome to the program. Great to be here, Donna, and I love what this podcast stands for. So, wonderful to be with you. Uh, thanks. Now, let's talk about why you started World Blue, what was the inspiration, and, and why are companies so excited about being a part of it? Well, I started World Blue 20 years ago when, and when I was a senior in college. And so if you think about it, this was about the time that the whole Internet age was just starting and I had no idea of what was to come, but at a very young age, I had a sense that we needed to think about democracy and freedom in the workplace, and it was a series of things that triggered this for me. During my senior year of college, I was asked to be the director of our public affairs conference, which was kind of a big deal. I went to a small liberal arts school in uh, Illinois. And so they were asked me to, the president of the college asked me to be the director of the conference. And I turned to my student team and I said, all right, let's do this conference on something that's going to be really consciousness raising and outside the box and push the envelope of thought like you talk about. Let's come up with a topic that's going to be like that. And I turned them loose to spend the summer before our last year of college to figure this out. And they came back in the fall and prepared a big presentation for me, and we met in the president's boardroom, and, you know, drum roll, and what they said was, Tracy, we think the topic should be on democracy, and my jaw kind of fell to the ground, and I was like, democracy? Isn't that old white guys in politics? (laughs) That was my impression of what democracy is, and I think a lot of people think of that, um, or that you use the D word, and they think voting, democracy means voting, but Voting is just a way of making a decision. As you know, if you're working decision-making, it doesn't necessarily mean democracy. So I kind of rejected the idea, but my wonderful uh, colleagues and friends said to me, no, let's look at this again. And they said, why don't you go and talk with some of our professors who have a broader view of what democracy is? And slowly but surely, I spoke with a professor in quantum physics and an environmental studies professor and a professor in education. And they all really helped me to see that democracy is really a way of organizing people. It's an organizing system, um, just like command and control is a way of organizing people, which is the military model is based off of. So with democracy, it's a way of organizing people to really give power to the people that releases their individual and collective potential. And I always had, from a very young age, a sense that the purpose of my life was to help people fully unlock and live their full potential. And so I started to really dig the idea of democracy because I thought, wow, if this is about creating the conditions and creating the environment 
in which everyone can flourish and excel. That feels purpose aligned for me, and I'm very interested in it. So that's what got me started on this path. I agreed to do the conference on democracy, and we ended up doing that. And then uh, it was a very successful conference. The day after the conference, I flew to Indonesia to do my last quarter studying abroad. And this is in 97 when the Asian financial crisis had started, and the president of the time of Indonesia was Suharto. And he was being overthrown by the people in Indonesia. And I had I grew up in Iowa. I'd never been out of the country at this point in my life. I'm 21 years old. And landed in Indonesia and rapidly experienced what it was like for people to not live in freedom and democracy. And so that was sort of the second of three things that led me on this path. So it made a huge impact on me. Uh, and then I came back, graduated from college, started World Blue on paper, had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, all right, let's do this. And of course, you have to support yourself, right, as you're figuring out how to build a company. And I got a job with a division of a Fortune 500 company. And this is sort of the third trigger point. I walked into work that first day, as many of us do, especially right out of college or just in life, excited about a new job. Walked in excited, ready to engage, ready to make a difference, and walked out of that job at the end of the day going, this is a dehumanizing and toxic work environment, and oh my gosh, if this is how the next 30 to 40 years of my life is supposed to be, I don't want it. So I resigned from that job four months later, and 20 years later, here we've built World Blue with amazing brands, working with clients in 80 countries, and it's just been a phenomenal journey. That is absolutely brilliant. I, it's funny listening to your story about that because I, I at one point when I was uh, desperate for finding something because, you know, there was a period of time when my work just wasn't getting any traction, certainly not in the Vancouver area. I, I, I took a job. I was in Edmonton and I took a job in retail because I used to have a retail store. So I thought, oh, this should be a no-brainer. And I made it a week. <laughs> I just, yeah. I understand. Oh, my gosh. My face broke out in a rash. I, I couldn't. I had absolutely drained of energy, and I could barely crawl into work. I thought, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so. Right. And that's, that's the challenge is you look in people's eyes, and you see how the soul has been sucked out of them yeah. because of these environments that we've created in our workplaces. And I believe that we have a, a moral and ethical responsibility as leaders of companies, but also as employees and companies to ask for more, um, to ask for more. And Donna, I just want to say a little bit more about what World Blue teaches. What we've learned over the 20 years is we started off with this idea of what is democracy. And I spent a decade asking this question. I did my graduate work on it. I traveled all over the world, and I really studied what democracy is and talked with world leaders about this, talked with people in the trenches working for democracy. And what my team and I identified is that, again, defining democracy as a way of organizing people, not as something like just voting, we found that there are 10 principles that have to be in place in order to have a democratic system. And you can find those principles on our website, worldblue.com. By the way, there's no E on blue. And we're also called World Blue because blue is universally recognized as the color of freedom. And like you said in your intro, we want to see a billion people living, leading, and working in freedom. So that's where our name comes from. But these 10 principles of, that create organizational democracy are principles that are now quite popular in today's world. So accountability and transparency, 
but also choice, dialogue and listening, the balance of the individual and the collective. So you have to have all ten principles to have democracy, and we've done quite a bit of research and statistical analysis around this. If you're missing one or two principles, you don't have democracy. And this is very important, whether you're talking about an organization or a company or at a country level. It's the same thing. These ten principles have to be in place. And so when I started World Blue, it was with understanding and teaching these principles. And as we worked with companies all over the world that work this way, that are democratic, that are freedom-centered because freedom is the outgrowth of democracy, what we then did was codify that into something that I call the Freedom at Work model. And this is what my forthcoming book is about. And so the Freedom at Work model has three parts to it, if you imagine it like a three-legged stool. Part one is mindset. So it starts, everything starts, as you know this, Donna, so well with your work, everything starts with mindset. So is our mindset, as we're building organizations, as we're leading our organizations, oriented towards a mindset of fear or oriented towards a mindset of freedom and possibility? And so if you're in a mindset of fear, which most of us are, we don't even realize it, because we're stressed and anger and micromanagement, <laughs> bullying, all these problems we see in the workplace are actually the result of fear. Fear is at the root of them. So if our mindset is oriented towards fear, that's going to impact the other two parts of the model, which are design, meaning the design of the organization, and leadership. The so mindset of fear is going to lead to a command and control, micromanaged, bureaucratic design of the organization, and then from that environment, it will produce fear-based leaders. So what we do with the Freedom at Work model is how do we cultivate a mindset of freedom and possibility in a very conscious and intentional way and use that to then impact the design of the organization, which is where the 10 principles of organizational democracy live. So when we work with companies on their organizational design, we take these 10 principles and we turn them into practices, operationalize the principles in a way that work, makes sense for the size, scope, and scale of the company. And then that, in turn creates an environment that cultivates what we call freedom-centered leaders. And we have a way of identifying and teaching what freedom-centered leadership is compared to fear-based leadership. So what we teach is the Freedom at Work model, and within that is organizational democracy embedded in that system. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You uh, just announced uh, the, this year's list of freedom-centered workplaces. Tell us about that process and how that works in relationship to what you just described. Absolutely. So back in 2007, so we're in our 11th year now, we created the only tool in the world that I know of that actually measures the design of an organization in terms of how democratic or undemocratic it is based in these 10 principles. And We've created a tool we call the Freedom at Work Scorecard. Any company can take it as long as they have at least five employees or more. And we've worked with companies from small all the way up to 100,000 employees with this. And so they complete this Freedom at Work Scorecard. And we're getting data on how well these 10 principles, like transparency, accountability, choice, decentralization of power, are showing up within an organization at an individual level, leadership level, and most importantly, systems and processes level. So it's a very rigorous assessment. Any company can uh, complete it. And those that score on a five-point scale, a 3.5 or higher, 
become certified by World Blue as a Freedom Center company. So it's it's a very advanced standard. It's it's much beyond, let's say, a B Corp standard or a, a, a Great Place to Work Institute. It's a it's the platinum standard of organizational design. So companies on this list you mentioned, Memo Innovations, Zappos, Davida, Nearsoft. Simon Sinek's company, Start With Why, is on this year's World Blue List. John Lewis, the company over in England, very well known on the World Blue List. All of these companies have met that standard and, and been certified. And what's great about it is it's the voice of the people letting us know how democratic the organization is or isn't. And we require a very high number of responses. So, again, it's just it's a very rigorous standard. And as far as we know, the only tool in the world that measures democracy within organizations. You know, I'm very impressed by this because it, it, it really gives a peer-to-peer -peer assessment of, of what it is versus the companies themselves nominating themselves, which I think is a bit of a... Right, right. That's a very important point, and, and that's where I just kind of shrug my shoulders with some of these things out there that are, hey, we put together a panel of judges, send us your propaganda, and, you know, we'll determine if you're great or not. No, this is the... It's democratic. It's the voice of the people letting us know you know, where, where they stand and where they fall. And so, and it's great. And leaders who are really, you know, who understand, look, as you know, we're not in the industrial age anymore, you know, newsflash, right? We're, I think we've moved beyond the information age. We're in a democratic age. And the reason it's a democratic age is that it is an age of power to the people and the empowerment of the individual, unlike anything we've seen before. So we have to be thinking about how do we design our organizations that are compatible with this age that we're in. And it's just gotta, it's just gotta go beyond what we're seeing still in the marketplace right now. And it's getting there. I'm seeing a big uptick. 20 years we've been at this, big, big uptick and more and more people understanding what we're talking about, not being afraid of the D word. I don't understand why so many people want to live in a democratic <laughs> country, but the idea of being a democratic company, they can't wrap their brains around. And it's like, well, the same benefits of living in freedom can be applied to working in freedom, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, my own view on that at this point, there, there's two factors involved. One is the old, the old style of management is just way too expensive. And the other side of it is that we have, uh, we're moving at a speed of change that is so rapid, you can't afford to centralize the talent. You have to have everyone engaged at a leadership level. There has to be a very cohesive and coherent a response to what's going on in the outer world, and it needs to be inspired. So, you know, this is the, the timing is perfect. Well, you're absolutely right, and I think some people might think, wow, these are just some, you know, sort of hippy-dippy, utopian ideas. Let's all join hands and sing Kumbaya. The thing is, when you practice freedom and democracy in the workplace, it delivers solid, competitive, bottom-line results. We just released a white paper that's free on our website. Anyone can download. And what we did was we looked at these companies that we certified. So World Blue Certified Freedom Center Workplaces. We got a third-party analysis done that took revenue growth of World Blue Certified companies and compared that revenue growth with the S&P 500, so more traditional companies, to say, okay, does this really impact the bottom line? We looked at revenue growth over a three-year time horizon. And what we found was that companies in the S&P 500, over the three years we looked at from 2010 to 2013, 
had on average 15% revenue growth, which is still a great, great number, 15.15. But companies on the world blue list that practice the freedom at work model, that practice organizational democracy, had not 15% average revenue growth, but 103% revenue growth. So almost seven times the revenue growth of a traditional way of running an organization. So to your point, we live in a time you've got to be adaptable. You've got to be able to move. You've got to be able to be resilient. You've got to be able to be innovative at a level and a speed unlike anything we've ever seen before. And, oh, yeah, you better make money along the way too. And the freedom at work model can flex and do all of that. And that is the beauty and the brilliance of democracy and freedom. It's funny because I have an episode four on the podcast is with Jay Bragdon, who did a, has been conducting a research investment portfolio on companies whose their management mimics nature, mimics life, actually. It incorporates life's principles into, I call it biomimicry, well, we call it biomimicry management. But it, it's that idea that, that if you operate on the principles of nature, you have greater resilience. And the big distinction, and, and of course, these companies way outperform their peers. When you, you know, when you, that's why I appreciate what you just said about the S&P. Uh, they've done the same comparable, and I mean, it, it's not even close. It's, it's you know, it, mm-hmm. in some cases, three times more. But you don't go in for the short-term turnaround. You, you know, these are it, these companies attract. They're big companies. They've been in business for over a hundred years. They have been totally responsive to what's going on in the outside world by design, and so and they and they way outperform their peers. So, but there's a, also a, a shift in. On, on mindset between cutting costs, which is a fear a fear based approach, we need to cut things, to saving money, which is a growth based approach. So if we save money, and that's where the, the you know it, people become engaged and empowered. Because if you think you're going to cut costs, there's that shrink, that contraction that goes with that. My job, and and if you say we're going to save money, it's like okay, well we can do that. Where where are we where are we burning money? And there's companies burning money left, right, and center. So. Uh, I think there's a lot of really interesting nuances in the switchover from what you know from the traditional way of doing it to what you're talking about here. I love that. I agree with you definitely. So now let's talk about the power question because I can't remember whether it was Matt Perez from Nearsoft or Rich Sheridan from Menlo, probably Rich, who who said you know you've got to talk to Tracy. <laughs> but but one of the things that that uh, that that he talked about was the power question. Yes, yeah. Well, let's talk a bit about that and why it's been so powerful. Absolutely. So, again, going back to the Freedom at Work model, everything starts with mindset. So how do we shift our mindset from fear into freedom and possibility? And, again, a lot of the time we don't even know that we're thinking in fear. And, of course, I'm not talking about the kind of fear that keeps you from, you know, a dangerous situation like driving your car off a cliff. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of fear that limits our full potential and promise. And so we have to find ways of moving beyond that fear. And what the brain research tells us is that when we're in a state of fear, the peripheries of our brain shut down and we become myopic. So we can literally only see one point of view, one way of doing things. And this is what's happening in companies. And we don't have the creativity. And people are stressed out. And they're protecting their little fiefdoms. And It's just rampant. It is rampant in our organization. So how do we make that shift? I created this thing that I call the power question. The reason I call it the power question is because when we're in fear, we're not in our power. But when we're in freedom and possibility, we are. So the power question is, what would you do if you weren't afraid? 
How would you solve that challenge? What conversation would you have? What action would you take if you were not afraid at all? And, of course, I'm not talking about being reckless. You know, some people are like, well, if I wasn't afraid, I'd tell my boss where to go. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. But it's this idea of what would you do if you weren't afraid. And it came from years ago when I was in my 20s working with a mentor. And I called her up one day, and I kind of, you know, laid out all my fears. And she was the first one who asked me that question, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I just felt this complete weight lift off of me. And I was like, well, I know exactly what I would do. Boom, boom, boom. So it started with the power question, which can flip your mindset literally in a moment. And then I've developed something, which is also going to be in my forthcoming book, called the power question process. Because sometimes we need a little bit more of a method to help us uncover our fears and move beyond. And so you can actually download this for free on our website as well. But the power question process has five steps to it. And the first thing you do is you think about a challenge you're facing. Again, it could be a conversation you need to have. It could be strategic. It could be an opportunity. It could just be that thing that is churning in your head that you're upset about, whatever it is. And the first thing question you ask yourself in the power question process is, what are you afraid of? What are you actually afraid of? And sometimes what we think we're afraid of and what we're actually afraid of are two different things. So you have to really peel back the layers of the onion on this. The second question is, why am I afraid? Did something happen in the past? Am I projecting something into the future? Is someone going to say something to me? Why am I afraid? So now that you've identified what you're afraid of and why you're afraid, the third question is, what would you do if you weren't afraid, which is the power question. And that's where you get to start to think and dream in a big way about how you can take action. The fourth question is, how would you feel without the fear? How would you feel without the fear? And whenever I ask people that, you know, you can see the shoulders <laughs> relaxed and there's a sigh. Well, I'd feel a lot less stressed, probably happier. I'd probably be excited about what, you know, my spouse is telling me or my kids want to do or what my boss is suggesting. So it's very important to identify how you would feel without the fear. And then the fifth and last question is, why can you let the fear go? Why is it okay to let it go? And for some people, it's very logical. You know, I've been worrying about this for 15 years and everything's fine. Why not let it go? For other people, it's spiritual, you know, uh, and I'm a very spiritual person. But it can be, you know what, I trust God, I trust the universe, I trust that it has my back and things are going to be good. So what am I afraid of? Why am I afraid? The power question, what would I do if I weren't afraid? How would I feel without the fear? And why can I let it go? And I've taught the power question, um, which on YouTube you can see my talk on it, if you put in Tracy Fenton, the power question. Uh, I've taught it to literally thousands of leaders all over the world. I just got back from London where we were doing a power question workshop there. I'll be teaching one in the fall in San Diego. And it is so amazing to see the breakthroughs that people have. And for me, it's a daily practice. You know, you, you start to really develop this mental muscle of identifying fear in your own thinking and just handling it. And it also makes you more compassionate towards others because so often – when I'm dealing with, you know, a client or people on the phone or just in your know, personal life, someone's upset or angry or stressed out, what's really underneath that is fear. And so sometimes we tend to be forceful in how we address those problems when really the opportunity is to step back and go, this person's actually in fear. How can I help them work that through?
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's very, well, obviously say powerful because <laughs> it is. It's just that place of awareness where you shift from, geez, I really don't have to choose to be in this emotional state. I can jump out of it if I just shift my perspective slightly. Exactly. And we've got everyone from the CEO of Start With Why to the CEO of WD40 all using the power question, using it with their team. You know, Gary Bridge, the CEO of WD40, called me up recently and he's like, I was in an exec team meeting. We got stuck. I asked the power question. We had all kinds of new ideas come forward. I mean, it's so practical. It's so easy to use. It's really fun to see the breakthroughs individually and collectively that you can have with it. So now, is that question the question that helps traditionally based companies which would, would still have authority and leadership tangled up tightly, you know, hanging on to that, that illusion? Is that the question that sets them free? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's where you start, you know, and, and people say to me all the time, well, where, you know, where do we even start? Just start with the power question in your organization. That's it, you know. And sometimes people are like, well, I'm not afraid. What are you talking about? I don't have fear. You do. I'm sorry, but you do. <laughs> and a lot of times we're very cut off from our emotion, and a lot of times it's hard for, for some men, um, particularly because our culture particularly Western culture, is so oriented towards having men, you know, button, button that emotion up. But we have to recognize that, again, there's so many symptoms of fear, stress, anger, micromanagement. The list goes on and on and on. In fact, a recent Harvard article where some research was done around fear in the workplace had uh, interviewed about, I think it was 150 CEOs around the world. And what the CEOs said was, they identified over 500 fears happening within the organization. So this is, it's a real problem. It's pretty much the creator of all the problems <laughs> in organizations and in the world. Disengagement, probably because there's fear. You know, mistrust, poor communication, um, people just mentally checking out. I mean, all of it, at the root of it, when you peel it back, is fear. So any organization that's saying, hey, we just want to get on a path, just start with the power question. Start bringing it into your meetings. Start bringing it into your own thinking as a leader, an employee, and just watch how it impacts your decisions in such a positive way. Let's back up a bit and look at this whole thing globally because you, you've been doing this incredibly powerful work for the last 20 years, and over that period of time, you've watched things evolve. And, of course, you know, <laughs> we, we we're on a similar path that way. What global trend do you see going on in, in the design of workplaces? And what do you think that means to people that would see themselves as the executive decision makers? I've never felt more hopeful than I do right now about the fact that the work that Worldview has been doing, that you've been doing, that many other people around the world have been doing is having a leavening effect on the collective consciousness that's making people sit up and say, we have to think about culture, we have to think about organizational design, we have to think in a much more, uh, you know, I would say freedom-centered freedom way. This is what employees want. You know, I get emails from all over the world from employees saying, oh, I wish my leaders, you know, would listen to what you have to say. And so they need to because it does not matter what your generation is, right, Donna? It doesn't matter if you're a baby boomer or a millennial. And I, I say this all the time. People want to work in freedom. And, of course, let me clarify. When I'm saying freedom, 
I'm not saying laissez-faire, free-for-all, or anarchy. Freedom has to have a framework. That framework is organizational democracy. Freedom is the outcome of that. They want to work in freedom and not fear. And I think there's so many factors that are playing into this, but I think one of the factors that is just my personal theory is, you know, ever since the 60s and 70s when the human potential movement was birthed, we live in a time now where the messages that you're hearing all over the world, and I've traveled all over the world, is you matter, you make a difference, live your dreams, live your potential. So people who have a sense of self-worth, people who have a sense of I want to do good in the world, I want to have a purpose, are not going to be attracted to these fear and control-based organizations anymore. So if you're going to win the talent war, if you're just going to be competitive, if you're just going to like enjoy your life and not look back with regret, leaders have to understand that this is how your organization needs to operate. Um, it's not changing. It's not going back. This is the trend. And it's really been in the last, I would say, three years that this trend has accelerated globally. And I, I was mentioning to you earlier, I was just in Romania a couple weeks ago, and I'd never been to Romania before. They organized a group of HR, group of very visionary HR people, organized an entire one-day conference on World Boost Freedom Network model, invited me in, invited some Romanian leaders in to talk. I um, did an opening keynote. I did a whole master class and taught the Freedom Network model to 125 top executive leaders. So this is happening all over the world. We, we have clients in 80 countries. I was speaking in China even about this. So it is, it is the trend. It is where things are going, and we have to take notice of it. And it's extremely exciting because what, what it's doing is opening up dimensions of human potential that have been pretty much locked away under the old model. And, and under the new model, it gives freedom to express that. And I think that's going to change, as we were talking about before we started this program, it's going to change the uh, stress-related illness statistics and recover some of that potential that's been lost to, to suppression. I love that point. I love that point because, again, when we use words like stress, what I propose is underneath that is fear. Fear is what creates stress, you know? Whether it's the fear of I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough, enough, enough. It's always lack-oriented. So when we address fear, it literally can shift our health, our mental health, our physical health, our wellness and well-being. I was um, speaking for a group of 100 leaders recently, and I, I spontaneously kind of asked, them, I was talking about the power question, and I spontaneously said to them, how many of you feel that you've had a health challenge because of fear in your thinking? Every single person raised their hand. I couldn't believe it. I never asked that question. Every person raised their hand. And I don't say I couldn't believe it because I do believe that fear is what often causes this illness and illness and all kinds of issues. I couldn't believe that people were that self-aware to realize this is actually at the root of it. And so, again, as we address fear, as we stand for freedom in our own lives, in our own thinking, in our families, in our schools, our communities, our organizations in the world, we are healthier, we are happier. Talk about a corporate wellness program. My goodness. <laughs> Let's handle fear, and then we're going to see corporate wellness. Forget all this other stuff that's just, you know, Band-Aid solutions. So I'm with you on that, Donna, for sure. 
Yeah, excellent, excellent. I know we've got a hard stop in one minute, so anything you want to add, and also can you give us your contact information or where, where people go on the website and so forth just to tidy that up? Absolutely. Well, we're always looking for more, more people who want to stand for freedom and democracy in the workplace. Don't be afraid. Uh, there's little steps you can take in, to wade into the water that can have wonderful ripple effects, and we're here to support. I work with my team globally, and you can go to our website, which is worldblue, world, B-L-U, no E on blue, worldblue.com. There's resources there, lots of exciting things. Later in the fall of this year, we're going to be launching a whole new website with even more amazing resources uh, for people we have lots of tools, products, gamification platforms that teach leadership, our scorecard. We have upcoming master classes and events. You'll see all of that on our website. So please feel free to check it out there. You can reach out directly to us. I'm happy to talk with anyone who would like to learn more. Tracy, thanks for your awesome contribution. I'm looking forward for the next conversation we're going to have, which I know is not far down the horizon. So, Thanks so much for having me, Donna. I really appreciate it. The steps that Tracy provided are a really easy way to start. Call me if you would like to work with more subtle nuances of what's going on in the workplace to provide the foundation for really genuine and lasting transformation, both personally at the leadership level, the self-leadership level, and organizationally in terms of resilience. You can find me on fominsighttoaction.com and or LinkedIn. Of course, Twitter, E-P-D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones and on Facebook at From Insight to Action. As always, please share and uh, like or comment on the podcast to give it support and make sure that the people who will benefit from some of this information actually receive it. Thanks so much.